0: You know, later on, my oncologist would tell me, you were young, 28 years old, healthy, non-smoker. It wouldn't have been the first, second, third, fourth of things to think about me having lung cancer.
1: Advances in lung cancer treatment over the last few years have made it possible to live with lung cancer for years after diagnosis. But treatments for small cell lung cancer haven't advanced much at all over the past 35 years. It occurs in about 15% of all lung cancer diagnoses The challenge is to research and develop treatment options for when the disease returns with a vengeance, often within six to eight months. Overall, survival rate is very low, but Dr. Triparna is doing everything within her power to change that. I'm Diane Mulligan. And I'm Sarah Beatty. Small cell lung
2: cancer patients have more hope for the future thanks to several newly approved treatments, and several more on the way. Today on the Living with Lung Cancer, Hope with Answers podcast, a conversation with one of LCFA's young investigators who's on the cutting edge of new small cell lung cancer research and a look at what drives a 14-year small cell lung cancer survivor in her work advocating for the
1: underdog. Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer. The researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. It
2: is so exciting to be able to share some really good news about small cell lung cancer. Small cell lung cancer is the focus of several LCFA Young Investigator Grants, most recently with Dr. Traparna Sen of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. We'll get to a fascinating conversation about what she hopes to accomplish with her work
1: in a few minutes. But first, let's hear from a 14-year small-cell lung cancer survivor. Montessa Lee shared her story with us during the amazing World Lung Cancer Day conversation we had and explains exactly what living with small-cell lung cancer means to her. The oncologist,
0: I I would never forget this, the day he told, uh, after the biopsy and things and told me my diagnosis, he said they used to call it oat cell cancer because it looks like small oats. Um underneath the microscope. And he said, you know, it was really a, a crazy name. My cousin was there with me at that time. And we were like, yeah, that is a weird name. You know, I don't want to think about eating a bowl of oatmeal. So it's <laughs> all about how it looks, you know, different under the microscope. It is also a more aggressive form of cancer. Um, if you watch your news lately, I'm sure people hear about non-small cell lung cancer. All the time we hear about that. Drugs that are coming out. But small cell um, is a smaller portion of patients also diagnosed with small cell compared to non-small cell.
1: Tell me more about your journey. So once you were diagnosed, what was your journey like? Mm -hmm.
0: So uh, when I was in the ER, the night they finally found the tumor, my cousin got on the phone and called another cousin of mine, who is a doctor at um, another hospital. And everybody got in motion right away to figure out what they were going to do. Um, And when I was sitting there, I was, I heard, we're going to do a biopsy and start an IV. And I said, I have to go home. I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I, I heard needle in my head. I heard needle and surgery. And I, I was like, no, those two options are out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so she told me to, uh, Can the doctor convinced me to look at the x-ray and three-fourths of my lung were covered with this mass. Wow. So I said, well, yeah, I, I guess I'm staying. And that night they immediately did a biopsy, a needle-guided biopsy. They said they didn't get enough tissue. Had to go back in the next week to get an open chest biopsy. Um, met my oncologist and immediately was hospitalized. That year, it was about the Thursday before Christmas. Um, and I ended up being in the hospital the Thursday before Christmas until after New Year's that year. And they immediately started chemotherapy. They put a metaport in. They checked my heart, um, the pericardial staff to make sure there was no cancer there. And I had, um, I forgot how many rounds of radiation and uh, eight weeks, eight cycles of chemotherapy. So I didn't finish chemo until probably the end of April of 2007. And then about that time, prophylactic cranial brain radiation came about. So I had radiation to the brain. And my last day of my brain radiation treatment was the first day back to school. The kids weren't there yet, you know, it was a few service days, but that was my last day.
1: Talk about hitting the ground running. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Life as you know it, you know, stops. You know, I was very active, active in my church, going on mission trips and very involved. And I was literally at work one day and in the ER the next.
1: That's crazy. And what was going, when they said the word cancer, what went through your head? So at first they didn't.
0: So it was a progression. So when I was there in the ER that early December and they said it, it might be cancer, it might not be, you know, it, um, it, and then they said it might be some rare form of cancer. So until I finally got that open chest biopsy, I didn't really get the full, full diagnosis, but you know, I'm, I'm a woman of faith. And that night when I was in the ER in the hospital and I heard the might be, might be, might be what kept me going was, you know, I just heard the, the voice and spoke to me. I believe it was, you know, the, my, my faith was speaking to me and saying, This is going to be something bad, but it's not going to kill you. It's going to be a healing testimony for somebody beyond yourself. And so I knew my voice, I had to lend a voice to this disease. And it wasn't until later after I got the diagnosis of small cell. My oncologist never told me, gave me a death sentence, thank God. He never told me the stats right away. I found that on my own when I went home and did the research.
1: And once you did the research, when did you decide to write your book? Let's talk a little bit about the book that you've written.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. So I read a book um, called He Whispered Life. And ever since I was younger, I used to journal. And as I was journaling, you know, it was kind of therapeutic. And I decided while I was sick, I was like, let me write. And that's the cover of my book. There it is. So, yep. Yeah. beautiful cover, too. Thank you. I said, let me write down my thoughts, you know, so I won't forget any of this journey. So I was just doodling on and, and at low time, low points. So one low point was I finished treatment. The tumor had responded to the chemotherapy. It was showing no evidence of the disease on the PET scan, but I still had a mass in my chest and the surgeon wouldn't operate. So
1: can you stop there for a second? Cause I'm not sure everybody, including me understands how you could have a mass in your chest and still have no evidence of disease. Was the mass benign?
0: Yes. So um and the for the insurance company, my nurse case manager thought that because the tumor was so large, and I, I forgot to mention that by the time they found it it was a fifteen centimeter mass, the size of a cantaloupe in my chest.
1: The size <laughs> of a cantaloupe, like we're talking this big. Yes, yeah, a, oh a
0: nine centimeter mass. <sighs> and 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 mind you, you know, no one had ever given me an X ray. That's why I thought I was just had asthma or something, you know, otherwise I'm functioning. <laughs> Not 100% capacity, but I'm functioning to some degree, um, with a lot of trouble breathing, and and some issues with my heart going on as well with fluid built up.
1: That's tremendous. I mean, what you have been through, and yet you've taken your voice and you've lent it to advocacy, and really being a special education teacher gave you some interesting insight. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Oh yes, yes. So I um. And and part of my book talks about that, too, how my journey came into teaching, because it wasn't my undergraduate degree. So teaching was my calling. I do believe that it was my calling, a calling to end up in Maryland, where I live, and um, a calling to work in the state I live, I mean, I'm sorry, the the district that I lived in. And when I was in North Carolina, still, I started working with children that had autism. And I was very passionate about learning more, especially about the brain research with autism and i um ended up going i'm in maryland now and i've been working <laughs> yeah, i was even in my master's program when i got sick
1: you but told me that but you were trying to finish correct when you got sick close
0: to i don't know how many more semesters i had but i was almost to the end you know i was way more than halfway done and um here's this diagnosis and me still trying to persevere to get that degree done and and fight for our kids you know fight for the marginalized students and and our students with special needs i had a special affinity to work with kids with autism
1: that's beautiful i love that how did you push through i mean you i know that you were close but you were going were you going through chemo at that time as you while you were also studying to to finish up
0: so the night i went to the er i was on my way to a grad school class and and the pain was unbearable but i had a I had a quiz that day, you know, a test. And I was like, Oh, let me just, you are one dedicated person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I don't, I, and nowhere in my mind did I think I was going to end up in the hospital that night. Um, the pain was bad. I went to go take the test. The pain subsided some. And I, and a matter of fact, that night, I also had um, another one of my cousins. I have a very large extended family. Another one of my cousins, uh, her mom was calling me because she was in labor close to that time too. So I have, I have all these things going on at once, you know, a new relative to the family. I have to take this quiz. I'm trying to persevere. And because I didn't know what was wrong with me. And, and by the time I got home, the pain kind of subsided. I live with my, my, uh, another cousin at the time. And I almost told her, no, no, let's, let's just wait. I don't have to go to the ER. The pain feels a little better. And something told me, let me just go and they can give you a (laughs) painkiller, you know, something to ease the pain. Yeah. And, um, so after, after that, and I realized I was going to stay in the hospital for a while, I still had a couple more assignments to finish my program. And I said, I'm not going to take an incomplete. You know, I have to finish um, just because I knew I had come too far and I didn't want to repeat the class or, or you know, take an incomplete. So I contacted the professors, was able to remotely um, finish my last few assignments, and then I had to take a semester off.
1: But then you started working with the children and and you talked a little bit about earlier about working with children with autism. What did that teach you? So
0: it taught me a lot. So from after, and, and you never would think that my lung cancer diagnosis and my advocacy work with lung cancer would tie into education, but it did. So after going through these trainings for lung cancer advocacy and these conferences, I learned to see, well, after my diagnosis, let me back up a little bit, after my diagnosis and I did my research and realized how inadequately funded lung cancer was compared to other cancers, I was angry. You know, I just kept <laughs> emailing organizations, trying to find information, saying this is an atrocity, you know, years later, we're not progressing, you know, and this was in 2006, right? right? So I took that anger and then turned it into advocacy. And, I, you know, mind you, I wasn't working during that time, you know, up until the next school year. When I went back to school and John Lewis, who passed away recently, you know, he he says, if you see something like an injustice going on, you must say something. You know, you have to do something. And I always knew something burning in me, some passion. Sometimes I would see things that weren't right. But I realized what education needed was the same type of advocacy that they were teaching us in the lung cancer community. Enough is enough that we see these atrocities, especially for our students with special needs. Sometimes they are marginalized students, just as well as students in poverty, um, you know, students of color. So we have to do something to provide equity and access instead of just measuring them to some level of a test. Right. You know like they can't be defined by a box. So that's my goal now. And Look, I'm back in school. <laughs> but my goal is to work with them and to connect the policy I'm learning and the advocacy efforts I'm learning from the lung cancer community and tie it into students with disabilities and make outcomes
1: improved for them. The other thing is that you have really found your voice when it comes to lung cancer and and, and you talk so much about that. Um, You were part of an LCFA program where Speakers Bureau members, and you're on our Speakers Bureau, and we are so lucky to have you, um, ask doctors questions about the most um, important details to patients. Uh, It's called the Hope With Answers program, which is over on um, lcfamerica.org. There's
0: a series of clips that that anybody can go back and watch that talks about small cell lung cancer. And I'm really excited that Dr. Lovely um, is really reaching out and doing some research for small cell lung cancer. For so long, we've kind of been forgotten. So that's what Hope with Answers, and that's what the the foundation is also. You know, we go out to speak and advocate. And just like today, that we're showing living with lung cancer. So yes, we need research. Yes, we need funding. But you don't have to go up in your bed and, and, you know, people hear cancer and they think it's a death sentence sometimes. But here you're seeing people living.
1: That's exactly what we were lucky enough to see throughout the day on World Lung Cancer Day. People showing how they are living with lung cancer every day, spending time with family and friends, and contributing to their communities like Montessa does every day through her work with children and through her advocacy.
2: Up next, we'll meet with one of LCFA's young investigator researchers who's working on new treatments for small cell lung cancer.
1: Are you enjoying the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast? Consider making a donation to help LCFA produce this resource for patients or anyone seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and clinical trials. Just text LCF America to 41444 to join in this important fight. LCFA's main mission is to fund young investigator research grants, research that helps find new treatments for non small cell lung cancer at a faster and faster pace all the time. But for small cell lung cancer patients, there have been relatively few new treatments over the last 30 plus years, until now. There are now new treatments for small cell lung cancer, and new research is happening right now. One of the people adding to that new body of
2: knowledge is Dr. Treparna Sen, assistant attending in the thoracic oncology services at Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. She's one of LCFA's newest young investigators, who's focused on novel therapies that reactivate the immune cells and make them capable of eliminating small cell lung cancer cells from the body. We really are so excited to talk to you about your um, very interesting and hopefully incredibly useful research. So let's talk about small cell lung cancer. Unfortunately, we know it's the most aggressive form of lung cancer. Can you talk about some of the other characteristics it has?
3: Before I jump into talking about small cell lung cancer in particular, I would just like to give our audience a little bit of background about lung cancer in general, just to set the premise of how terrible this disease is. So lung cancer is caused uh, by unchecked growth and spread of some cells in the lungs. And it is the most common cause of cancer related deaths as many of our audience must already know in the US and worldwide. So each year in the US about a quarter million people are diagnosed with lung cancer and about 150,000 people die from lung cancer. There are two major types of lung cancer, uh, non-small cell lung cancer and small cell lung cancer. Small cell lung cancer is the area of my research. So small cell lung cancer, as you very rightly pointed out is the most aggressive form of lung cancer. It happens to about one out of every 10 people who are affected with lung cancer. So in in an estimate, about 30,000 Americans die every year from small cell lung cancer and an estimated quarter million people die worldwide. So as you can imagine, it's a major public health problem, not only in the United States, but globally. So small cell is characterized by very rapid growth, early metastasis, and exceptional lethality. Like uh, it's not the kind of disease that would sneak up on you over years. It's a disease that will happen fast and it's a very aggressive disease from that, that point onward. There are no single causes for small cell lung cancer as such, but we have seen that the major risk factor is smoking. So, and it also, the risk factor increases depending on the how many years the patient has smoked and how many packs that they have smoked over those years. Um, Other causes that may also include is if you have been exposed to secondhand smoke, um, that is equally uh, harmful for you. Uh, exposure to radon or other harmful chemicals, air pollution. Uh, If you have other lung diseases, you may be more predisposed to having small cell lung cancer. If you've had prior radiation or to your breast or to the chest area, then you can have greater risk factor of having small cell lung cancer. The the symptoms are not very specific. Uh, Possible symptoms may be a cough that won't go away. It's a persistent cough that you may have and you may cough up blood uh, in that when you're having this persistent cough. It's a hoarseness of voice that may happen. Um, You may have just a general chest pain when you're coughing or when you're laughing out loud. So these are the general symptoms uh, for small cell lung cancer, but as I said, the symptoms are not very specific. But what I can summarize is that small cell lung cancer is an extremely rapid growing disease. It spreads throughout the body, and due to this nature of small cell lung cancer, it has historically been one of the hardest cancers to treat, and the prognosis is really dismal. Uh, For patients with small cell lung cancer, we see uh, less than 5% even have a two-year survival rate, and the overall survival is less than one year. So it's a terrible disease is all I can say about this. Small cell lung
2: cancer hasn't had very many developments in 30, 35 years, really the only treatment was chemotherapy. And now what researchers are doing is saying, okay, we know that um, immunotherapy works in some patients and we know that combinations might work in some patients. And is this a fresh look at therapies that have existed for 35 years and just weren't put together or is this, new research that's come out to find a completely um, new approach or new treatment for small cell that
3: no one knew about before? Right, that's a great question actually. It's a little bit of both. Uh, We did not know much about the biology of the disease to begin with in the last 30, 35 years. Now with the advancement of technology, uh, we are now looking into the disease in a completely different perspective because as I mentioned before, Small cell is very different from non-small cell lung cancer. In non-small cell lung cancer, you can, uh, there has been advancements and great advancements depending upon the mutation signature of the cancer. But unfortunately for small cell lung cancer, it is not a mutation-based disease. Uh, it has a lot of mutations, but none of those mutations are actually actionable by drugs. So now we are going into the gene expression level. Now we are finding new targets. So what your question, what I got from your question is, is it existing drugs or is it new drugs? And I would say a little bit of both. As we know more and more and more about the biology of the disease, we are identifying new pathways and new targets uh, and new therapies are coming up. We are also repurposing older drugs that we never knew might be a target for this disease. And we are bringing them into the clinic now as a single agent or as a combination. So I think as our idea of the disease or the biology of the disease evolves, these therapies are gonna be evolved and we are gonna bring not only newer targets, but also repurpose older targets that we sort of had an idea about, but we did not know that in what context in the disease it would work. And that's why identifying biomarkers is so important is because the right context really matters especially for small cells, since the window of opportunity for treatment is so small. Dr. Sin,
1: let's talk about your research specifically. You're working on two areas of small cell lung cancer research, and LCFA is helping to fund your research in epigenetics, which is trying to figure out how to turn on the body's immune system
3: switch so it can attack the cancer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Over the last few years we've spent a lot of time trying to understand small cell. So what small cell lung cancer does is essentially hides itself from the immune system. So your body's immune system doesn't even recognize small cell as a foreign body and hence attacks it. So it hides itself. So what we believe is this is mainly because that small cell lung cancer has a lower expression or the lower uh, level of a gene or uh, of a lower expression of MHC class one, which, is, which helps in identifying cancer as foreign and help, hence helps the body attack it. So what my research with the generous funding from LCFA, what I'm trying to do is re-engage the immune system of the small cell lung cancer patients and then eliminate uh, small cell lung cancer tumors by restoring the expression of MHC class one. So as you said, epigenetic modifier. So what are epigenetic modifications? Epigenetic modifications, I know it's a, it's a mouthful, is just the changes that you make on the DNA at a higher level so that you can turn on or off a gene. So what we have seen is these genes that are important for the epigenetic modification of DNA is actually working very cleverly in turning off the genes that the body needs to actually fight with the cancer. The immune system actually needs these genes to fight with the cancer. So the cancer is being very intelligent in trying to turn off these genes. So we have identified a few of these genes and we are now using inhibitors or small molecule inhibitors targeting these genes so that when we suppress them, then we can make the body's immune system more aggressive. It can recognize the cancer more. And then when treated in combination, it would improve the immunotherapy response uh, in small cell lung cancer, which we really need because immunotherapy is not working as well as, it would, as we would like it to. So with my research, I'm combining epigenetic modifier inhibitors with immunotherapy with the hope that it would improve the effect of immunotherapy in this cancer type. So
2: you have another area of research where you're looking at DNA damage, damage to the response genes and how they can help the body's immune system recognize cancer and attack it. And I hope you can explain this in a way that that I can really grab a hold of it and get a picture of what this research is going to mean to people who
3: are living with small cell lung cancer. Absolutely. I'll try my best. And I'm really excited about this area of research too. Uh, So as our understanding of small cell lung cancer has become better, we have identified targets and vulnerabilities for this cancer type. Just imagine this as Achilles heel, just one area of the tumor or one area of the cancer that when you hit is actually going to cause damage. So what we have found, pathways that help in the repairing of DNA, which we call as DNA damage repair pathway the players, the crucial players in this pathway are actually vulnerabilities for this cancer. And uh, some of these targets are PARP and check, and uh, you know, these are the vulnerabilities. So what, when you inhibit these targets with the small molecule inhibitors? you can essentially kill small cell lung cancer cells and also cause decrease in the tumor growth in mice. So what we know from other cancer types is that when you have increased damage to your DNA, immunotherapy works better because increased damage to DNA tells your immune system that there's something wrong going on here. I think you need to take a look here. So I think that's what happens when you have increased DNA damage in your cells. So we hypothesized that if we can cause more and more DNA damage with these uh, inhibitors and then combine it with immunotherapy, then immunotherapy will work better. And that's exactly what happened. So in the lab, what we did was, we took tumor-bearing mice with small cell lung cancer tumors and we treated it with these DNA damage repair inhibitors with immunotherapy. What we saw was when you combine these two, Within the first week, the tumor starts shrinking. In most of the animals, the tumors not only shrink, but they totally go away. And this effect was sustainable up to three to four months. And why this is so encouraging for us is because small cell lung cancer is so aggressive. The disease progresses so fast. So to have tumor clearance was a really remarkable finding for us. So the next steps is we are taking this to the clinic. So these DNA damage repair inhibitors are already in clinical trials for small cell lung cancer. We are now combining it with immunotherapy. What we really wanna see is in patients, do these combinations really work as well as we saw it working in the lab? And is the response sustainable? But I think I'm very hopeful because the results that we got in the lab was so remarkable that we are very, very uh, hopeful that the next steps in clinical trials would also give us such remarkable data. But I'm, I'm really excited about this field as well. I love that because that's what this is
1: all about, hope with answers, right? So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're hopeful about these new ways to treat small cell lung cancer in the future. Um, and how might that treatment change? What would people see and how far away are we from, from seeing these changes come about?
3: Yeah, so there are active research going on uh, in small cell lung cancer and there are active clinical trials. So all these drugs that I've been talking about are already in clinical trials, either a single agent or in combination with immunotherapy. So I think over the next few years, we will get data from these clinical trials telling us whether our research has led to... Uh, real sustainable improvement in patients, because that's our ultimate hope, is to improve the lifespan and the quality of life for patients with small cell lung cancer. And I think this would be, so combining an epigenetic modifier, which was our my LCFA funded grant, uh, combining that with immunotherapy would be a very active area of investigation going forward. And we are working actively in the lab also to see how we can tweak and what subset of patients it would work. So that would remain an active area of investigation. Combining DNA damage repair inhibitors with immunotherapy would also be a research we I think the field is looking forward to to see how this happens in patients. So I I think we would see shifts in those. Um, and I think in terms of technology, we are making really, really good strides. My group is now looking at small cell lung cancer at a single cell level, like not even a whole tumor we are going deeper and dissecting cell by cell by cell so that we can see what happens in each cell when a cancer progresses or when a cancer undergoes treatment. So I think having that sort of technology with the funding support that we get from organizations like yours, looking at the single cell level for small cell lung cancer will give us a lot of insight into the biology of the disease and that would lead to newer therapies for small cell lung cancer. And we already have a lot of those in the clinic, but I think there would be more coming in in the coming years uh, with uh, our advancement in technology at the single cell level. That's
2: fascinating. What, as you're, as you're in the lab and looking at these different areas of research, and, and as you mentioned, there's a number of groups doing small cell research right now, what are other areas or, or things that you expect to be coming down the pike in the future that are relevant for um, your team or for other researchers
3: uh, looking at small cell lung cancer? I think understanding the mechanism of resistance to immunotherapy and to other drugs would be key. Because once we know why drugs become resistant, we can find a way to overcome that resistance. So I think understanding mechanisms of resistance Uh, to either chemotherapy or immunotherapy, which is an active area of investigation for my group and also for other uh, researchers in the country, I think that would be a very, very important area of research is understanding mechanisms of resistance. Um, I talked about biomarkers before, so identifying the biomarkers of even response so that we can put patients in the right clinical trials would be very important. The other areas would be combination trials with other immunotherapy regimens uh, like TIGIT or uh, CTLA-4. I would not go much into the details about those, but combination immunotherapy trials are also being conducted and we're looking forward to what happens going forward. And I think another very interesting area, and I think this speaks for both non-small cell and small cell and the area that my research group is also interested in is how So lung adenocarcinoma, which is a non-small cell lung cancer, actually becomes resistant by transforming itself or by changing its form and changing to small cell. So what I'm interested in learning is these transformed small cell, that small cell that has emerged from non-small cell, is it different from the actual small cell lung cancer? Does it have the same drug targets? Does it have the same genomic makeup? or it is a completely different disease and we need to come up with newer targets. So I think small cell transformed small cell would also be an active area of investigation. What I can summarize is that we have come a long way. I mean, we understand the disease a lot more than we did even five to six years ago, but I still feel we are pretty earlier on in the game. There is much more work to be done. There's so much more to learn about the disease, whether the drugs would work, though we are making great strides, we also have a long way to go in understanding this disease. And I think uh, next few years would be crucial in knowing whether the research that we're doing currently or whether the drugs that are in the clinic right now uh, does work in the patients as uh, well as we think they might. I am just in awe at your ability to explain this
2: and, and um... And I'm so grateful that people like you, researchers, young investigators like you are on the front lines of this fight, bringing a new approach, You know, using technology um, and starting to pull apart this incredibly complicated knot of um, research and how cancer works. I mean, just to hear you describe it is is really incredible to to give people a perspective of how complicated this is. It's maddeningly
3: complicated. It is, I mean, uh, it is a very, every patient is unique. Every patient is different. So the concept that lung cancer is the same is the first thing that our audience needs to kind of put away because, A patient that has worked for your friends, your family, your neighbors will not work for you. The the physician and the researchers really have to look into what fits for you. It's not a one size fits all. It is lung cancer, it sounds similar disease, but it's a different disease. The researchers need to really work on what would work for you Um, and that's what we are trying to do is that not putting every patient on same clinical trial or giving them the same drugs, we're trying to see what would work for you particularly so that we can save the time for the treatment, the money for the treatment, and then put you on the drugs that might actually work for you and give you sustainable data. That's our hope is to put every patient on the right clinical trials.
1: You can hear the passion in Dr. Sen's voice when she talks about her work. We're so grateful for the chance to talk to her about the work she's doing to find new approaches to small cell lung cancer treatment.
2: Thank you to our guests today, small cell lung cancer survivor Montessa Lee and Dr. Treparna Sen of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And thank you for joining us on the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. Please join us again next time.
1: Make sure to subscribe to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available. So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.